Hey, folks, I'm Tom. I'm KJ. You know the drill. We're back here once again to remind you about the benefits of the Dunlap Champions Club. If you haven't sampled it still, well, find one of your friends or somebody that has. Uh, you know, the spring game in the rearview mirror. Certainly uh, some other folks got an opportunity in there to enjoy what is uh, just terrific space. Every now and then when you're hanging out in the Dunlap Champions Club, an MC Hammer concert breaks out, too, so you never know what you're going to get. And if you haven't had the opportunity to even be there, you can schedule a private tour. Just call 850-644-1830. Tickets are available. It's a, it's a home schedule that uh, you'll enjoy visiting there, and particularly if we get any of those noon, noon kickoffs, you'll be air-conditioned and ready to go. Well, that is a good point. I just, in general, I didn't want to have a noon kickoff conversation, but I get your point. And the home schedule, of course, includes Miami, NC State, Louisville, Syracuse, uh, whatever it is, 644-1830, the number to call or, or, or go online, seminoles.com uh, slash tickets, and check out the Dunlap Champions Club. And we really like them because they allow us to then put this on the podcast, and it's without commercial interruption. Is that how we say it? This being Front Row Knowles. Take it away. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Hello, everybody. Just like the FSU baseball team, we are back. Tom and KJ. Keith, how are you? Way back. I'm sad, Tom. Uh-oh. Just a little bit. You know, we've reached that age. You're, you're a decade or more younger than me. I hit 60 more, this year. More. Hit 60 this year. And, and you know, they say you, middle, you, you know you're really in middle age when you go to more funerals than you go to weddings. And, and I went to a funeral last week. Uh, great guy. Former Seminole. Played linebacker at Florida State in the early 70s. Uh, Dan Whitehurst, I got to see Barry Smith and David Miles and Coach Gladden was there. And, you know, it was a sad time, but a happy time. And, and I got word this morning that uh, one of my fellow teammates, Kurt Unglob, his dad passed away. His dad's name was George. And everybody in Tallahassee knows George, even if they didn't know him. Because he and his partner, uh, Bill Cloud, Unglob and Cloud, owned the Gulf service station on the corner of Monroe and Tennessee Street. For years and years and years before it was eventually he retired and and those buildings right. came down and they built the uh, the building that had the um, uh, um, um, Walgreens. pharmacy Walgreens Walgreens whatever it is, but Unglob and Cloud Gulf Oil right there on the corner of Monroe and Tennessee Street. Everybody that's been in Tallahassee from late fifties early sixties up and through the nineties will remember that. And uh, and George passed away uh, this week. Uh, Kurt's dad and uh, condolences out to the to the Whitehurst family and to the Unglob family uh, for the passing of two what I consider pretty pretty big icons in Florida State and Tallahassee history. I don't know if you recall this, and I didn't know him as a player, but Dan Whitehurst was my neighbor for a little while when uh, Laura and I first got married, and so I knew him then, but didn't know the time frame. Uh, of when he had played or, or that sort of thing. Do you know so, what he's famous for? I don't. It's happened several times, but he probably was one of the first. Florida State was playing somebody in the old sombrero down in Tampa, and Bill Parcells was Dan's coach. He coached linebackers at Florida State at the time. Yes, that Parcell. And somebody picked off a pass or a running back took off or whatever, and Dan was not in the ball game and was running down the sidelines. <laughs> And Whitehurst stepped out and tripped him. 
You've seen it several times at the pros, maybe, or in movies or whatever. But Dan actually did that and said he was so annoyed that that guy was going to score that he he stuck his leg out and tripped him. <laughs> so Woody Hayes wasn't the first. Is I guess I not. I yeah. guess not. Well, uh, but anyway, sad con- note, con- ha- ha- happy note uh, that we celebrate their lives, both Dan and George. But sad note that um, uh, of their passing, and uh, we'll we'll move forward and remember them fondly. Moving it back to uh, to the baseball part of the conversation, and our Seminoles dot com insider Tim Linnefelt will join us a bit later. But nobody except Eric Lou Allen on this very show last week uh, saw the whole turnaround come and start with. Clemson. I believe he predicted. Did he not? Can we go back? I mean, and look I kind of put it on the T form, and he said okay, but we'll just give him the credit. There you go. He spends more team. It it, it it does beg the question. So right now, do you feel, are you more confident that Florida State's going to win a series against Virginia, or are you still wait and see? Maybe last week was an aberration because we've got more of a sample on what the rest of the year looked like. Well, well here's, the, here's my takeaway. We didn't know Florida State could do what they did against Clemson. We now know they can. So that part of it is removed because prior to that, we were all going, woe is us, woe is me. They can't hit. They can't pitch. They're going to get beat 42-2 to in those three games. Well, now we've seen they can do it. So now we know they can do it. So the to me, the expectation is exactly what you say. Can you continue it? Because as Coach Bowden always said, you can have a great victory, but if you lose the next one, it diminishes what you previously done. Florida State baseball has got to build upon that series. They've got to go into Virginia and continue to play well, throw well, hit well, all the other things, and uh, and we'll see. But I am encouraged. I am encouraged. The saying goes that momentum is only as good as the next day's starting pitcher, right? Sometimes, no question. If Florida State pitches at the start like they did last weekend, especially with Friday and Saturday night, which in this case would be Thursday and Friday. Oh, even Friday. go back to the Florida game that they lost. Right. They got a great outing right. from the starter. I feel like it's not a perfect parallel, but last year, you know, as we look back at last football season, Everything gets lumped into everything was a train wreck, including the defense. But but being down there on the field, it really felt like the offense of, of woes and giving the other team the ball at the 10-yard line, eventually it just broke the will of the defense. And I've said this a lot on this show. So in my mind, the defense isn't as bad, wasn't as bad as what the, the numbers show because their will just got broken by the fact that it was Series 3 and they're down 21 nothing. It feels like on the baseball diamond, there's been a little bit of that because you have a team that's going to strike out more than FSU teams typically do because you have a lot of freshmen. But then you're falling behind because the pitching hasn't been there, and now guys are trying to hit four-run homers with nobody on base. And and so you're just everything's getting further out of whack. And it's, So all of a sudden you get good pitching and people are a little bit relaxed more. And I know they had three errors on Sunday, but in theory – some of that stuff doesn't show up as much. At least that's what I'm hoping. A great, uh, a great pitch for a punch out in the first or second inning. A great dive for a line drive. You know, early in a ball game. Both of those things, in my opinion, can ignite the offensive end when you get back to the plate. Because you know, particularly if it's the third out, you know, and somebody was in scoring position. I mean, those are momentum builders from defense over to offense and and I think with what what was what Parrish was able to do in that opening outing first couple of three innings against Clemson uh, the offense did benefit from it so things are good on the baseball diamond not as good on the softball diamond because the team went seven years without dropping an ACC series and now they've done it two weeks in a row which is only to let's suggest- fire the coach let's fire the coach they're worthless their RPI was still number one in the nation this week by the way even after losing that series to Louisville last week so they're still in good position there uh, it, it brings up the point, 
that we hear often talked about in sports that that, that staying on top is a lot harder than the initial getting, getting to there. the top no because question. you are circled on everybody's calendar. If you're not a North Carolina softball fan, but there's a chance you were going to go to one game this year. That's it. It's going to be the one that they marketed and said, get out here. Same thing last week at Louisville. And and I don't know. I have not seen the softball team play enough to know the nuances of what they haven't been doing that they need to do. But that's part of it, I guarantee you. And another big game tonight uh, that uh, obviously Lonnie and, and the ladies are looking forward to. Um, against Florida. Against Florida, no question. And they've had success against Florida of late. Another place that's had a lot of success, Madison Social. You know about it. We talk about them all the time here on this show. They are uh, teaming up. Uh, this is this is not the first annual. Uh, it's at least the second, I want to say. But the Tallahassee Coffee Festival is coming up on April 28th. So you can sample all of the finest uh, from around town. It's TallahasseeCoffeeFestival.com if you want more information. Lucky Goat is my go-to. I like them. I'm sure that they're probably part of the uh, lineup. Don't know that for a fact, but I can only presume. I'll tell you what is part of the lineup on a big show today. We got two. We got we got a bunch I mentioned of our, our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. Uh, Ritesh Gupta, who's somebody I've known for years, an FSU alum. He is the gentleman who directed the Dwayne Wade commercial, Budweiser commercial, that played during Dwayne's last game. He's got great stories he'll share there. Uh, and also a longtime friend of KJ and I, you know him. Uh, he's ubiquitous because he literally, you flip, you flip the channel and there he is on that channel too. Charles Davis from NFL on Fox and NFL Network. Keith and I used to work with him. I guess it wasn't even, well, it might have been Sun Sports, but it started as Sunshine Network at the time that we met Charles. Really good guy. He'll join us next. We'll talk about NFL draft and much more. We are just getting cranked up here in Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, we open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency ensuring your future together. We do this once annually, it's always uh, the privilege and pleasure for KJ and I to welcome back an old friend of the program. He's an analyst uh, for the NFL on Fox, NFL draft analyst with NFL Network, star of uh, Madden 2019 and, and years forthcoming, I would think. And there's about 412 other bullets we could list, but I'll just stop there and say, Charles Davis, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. It's terrific to talk to you two again. Appreciate you having me on. Hope things are going well for you and your families and friends. Everybody's doing great, but before we get started, before we get started, Tom, are you going to do this or am I going to do this? You go ahead because I'm not sure what you're doing. Uh, congratulations out to um, CD22. Just voted uh, a member of the Tennessee Volunteer Athletic Hall of Fame. Uh, quite a time happening, very much uh, a- 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 appropriate. And and by the way, he he gets inducted with a guy that some might know. So Charles Davis, you're going in, and and who's your other guy going in? Uh, who who play, played quarterback in the NFL, didn't he? What's his name? Peyton something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that Manning guy. Yes, is interesting. Thank you. First of all, that's awfully kind of you guys, and uh, it's quite a shock to get that phone call. Believe me, I never saw that coming, and. When they told me who else was in the class, 
Was it the old Sesame Street show? What was the thing that they used to do? What things not like the other thing or what doesn't belong <laughs> in that? And they started, they said, well, you're in. I said, great. Oh, my God. And once I recovered, I said, well, may I ask who else was in the class? And I said, um, David Cutcliffe, Kippy Brown, who I played for there, former coach, um, Carol Lawson, one of the all-time great Tennessee Vols on, on the Lady Vols side of basketball, one of the great announcers out there now, and some guy named Peyton Manning. I went, oh, okay. But <laughs> I have a feeling it might, be, it, it might be a little bit better attended. I don't know that anyone will hear very much that I have to say during that time, but that's okay, too. Just the idea of getting in is, is way more than I expect. Well, in, in all sincerity, congratulations. That is an unbelievable honor uh, and, uh, and, and very much uh, due for all that you've done, uh, both while you were there and after the fact for, for that volunteer program. Thank you. It's awfully kind. Appreciate it. Uh, I guess VFL is what we're supposed to say, right? Volunteer for life. This is front row Knowles, though, not front front row volunteers, but I do have a couple of Tennessee questions for you here. So first of all, as someone that, uh, used to cover Florida state, we used to work with you back in the day. Yeah. Chris Winky, who happens to be, uh, is he the running backs coach or quarterbacks coach? He's on Jeremy Pruitt's staff. I think he's now the quarterbacks coach. So apparently he, he said something to the, to the media to the effect of, uh, yeah, Phil Fulmer uh, just mentioned the 20-year anniversary of Tennessee beating FSU, and I asked him when I was getting my ring because if I would have played, Tennessee wouldn't have won that game. <laughs> yeah, we all, we all remember that night fondly in Knoxville, of course, and it was a tough one for Florida State because, you know, going into the national title game without a guy <laughs> who, 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 who led them there and your Heisman Trophy winner, that makes things a little bit tough, doesn't it? You know, it makes things a little bit more interesting. And, and Marcus, the rooster outs, and got the start. And there, I believe, if I remember correctly, there's a pick six in there that, that went Tennessee's way. Yeah, we don't. Still along the victory. And we didn't mean we, to go we, down we memory lane. We didn't mean lane, to go down CD. memory lane here. I, yeah, I just. Big pass and team with T. Martin to Peerless Price. Hey, okay. Hey, it was great having now. you on, Charles. We appreciate it. That, oh. was, that, was, that, was, that, was, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I, every time I see Chris, I bring that up. I'm just glad he's in orange now. <laughs> hey, what, one more question on a much more serious note about Tennessee, and then yeah. obviously the reason we're having you on is related to uh, the NFL draft. But uh, you know, basketball season just concluded, and, and Florida State fans are well aware of what happened with Phil Kofer and the passing of his dad. Yeah. And what I hadn't processed until I saw you make some comments online about it is that he was a college teammate of yours. Uh, so, yeah. what wh- wh- what can you share, uh, given that you guys, uh, you know, shared the, the the locker room and blood, sweat, and tears and all that uh, as teammates back in the day? Yeah, Mike was a senior my first year at Tennessee. As a rich, I ended up redshirting that year. We played in the Peach Bowl against Iowa, and we had two Mike Kofers on the team. Okay, Mike played defense, played defensive end, outside linebacker. The other Mike Kofer played tight end, and. You could distinguish them pretty easily because the tight end, Mike Kofer, was white <laughs> and the defensive end, Mike, Mike Kofer, was black. But, of course, no one wanted to go down that road even in early 1980s, Knoxville, Tennessee. So our sports information staff did a fantastic job and nicknamed them Stop and Go. So Stop Kofer playing defense, Go Kofer playing offense. That was a pretty, pretty nifty way to, to identify them. But Mike Kofer was a phenomenal player. Um, tough, hard-nosed, a huge recruit for Tennessee to keep him in Knoxville. He grew up and played high school football. And his family, was, you talk about athletes now. He had a brother, James, James, we called him Boone, 
who went to Clemson initially, and there were some recruiting issues with them at Clemson. And so that went awry, but James was a phenomenal athlete. And then you flip it over to Joe Kofer, who I played with, and Joe was a, you guys are going to love this, 190-pound inside linebacker as a true freshman at Tennessee, playing in the SEC, and by the way, led the team in tackles as a true freshman. Wow. And then the next year, we switched him to strong safety. And so he and I were, were the safeties for two years running at Tennessee before Joe ran some injury issues and some other things. And so he played strong safety. I played free safety. So we were roommates on the road. He's about opposites. I mean, we were totally opposite people. But boy, good boy, oh boy, could he play football. I wish I could play it as well as him. But for Mike, phenomenal leader, phenomenal player. I remember on my recruiting trip, I was a quarterback at the time. And, and he said, what position do you play? I said, quarterback. The first thing he looked at me, he just got, he got about 10 inches from my face and said, can you take a hit? And that's when I knew I was getting into the real business of college football. And Mike went on, of course, was a uh, two- or three-time pro bowler in the NFL, the Detroit Lions. He had three seasons with, with double-digit sacks or more. One of the things about him was he, was he looked like he was sculpted out of marble, guys. We called him Secretariat because he was just so perfectly tuned and could run like the wind. But the problem was his body fat was so low, he would cramp all the time. And when Mike Kofer cramped, it was like full body cramp. It was sport for us, painful for him. I remember him cramping one time in a team meeting, guys, in the shape of the chair. And when they carried him out, he couldn't relax. He was still in the shape of the chair. It took like four people to carry him while he was still <laughs> sitting like he was sitting in a chair. I'll never forget that day. But God, God rest his soul. We're going to miss we're gonna miss him in a big way. He battled stuff for a long time. feel horrible for Phil, losing a father. Joe and Boone losing a brother, and for all of us who played New Mike and all of us in the volunteer family, Big Orange Country, BFL, we lost a brother, a teammate, and a leader, and uh, that hurts my heart. I feel like I've lost way too many guys already. I'm just telling you. It feels like our numbers are unusual, and I won't bore you with that, but that one really hit home. I mean, that really hit us hard. Mike was 58 years old. Well, CD, we appreciate you sharing that. That uh, that's thank very you, insightful. Thank you for letting me go. Very insightful. All right, podcast. let's change gears and get to uh, the the topic at hand: the NFL draft. Do, does Florida State have another first round draft pick? I think so. I think Brian Burns would be a first round draft pick. The outside linebacker, defensive end. Um, you know what he's like. You guys know how he plays. Will we look? If you just watch him on the tape, he darn near looks like a flanker or a tight end at times. But uh, I have a feeling he's put on some pretty good weight here in the run up to the draft. We saw some of that at the combine. And I think someone's going to get him, and I'm putting his spot guy starting somewhere in the middle of the first round through the end of the first round where he will go. I kind of figure somewhere between 15 and 23. That's just that's just my own guess. Maybe higher, maybe lower, but I still think he's going to be a first-round guy because rushing the passer's name became the NFL. Is there hesitation from NFL teams given his size or lack of, and I'm talking about weight, and, and do you see him as a guy that's that's ultimately targeted to be an outside guy in a 3-4, or is he going to have his hand in the dirt and, and he's good enough to do that? I, I think he's going to do both, frankly, guys. I really do. I think that the way that the, the game's played now, they're going to continue to put some weight on it. Um, but we've seen guys who are a little light in the behind have success. Dick Beasley, remember a few years ago? Mm-hmm. You guys know Vic Beasley at Clemson. What did mm-hmm. he play at, guys? In the 220s? Maybe. I mean, you remember that. And then he got to the NFL, and they were playing him a down defensive end. He got a little bit bigger, but he played mostly defensive end, hand in the dirt, pass rush situations, had 15 and a half sacks and four seven fumbles in one season. 
they were trying to get that back. And part of that is how they used him in scheme. Um, Daniil Hunter with the Minnesota Vikings coming at LSU. His production wasn't super great at LSU, but Mike Zimmer saw something in him. They've nurtured that. They've gotten him a little bit bigger and stronger. He's playing down defensive end, even though he still looks like an outside linebacker. And he's giving them double-digit sacks every year now. So I think that they'll utilize it both ways. But you guys know we're 70% of the time in the NFL now or more in nickel or sub packages on defense. So a lot of that base defense stuff goes out the window. I mean, the Rams the Rams say they play a 3-4 base. Aaron Donald doesn't fit a 3-4 base. Aaron Donald had 20 and a half sacks last year. <laughs> I mean, they, look, when you're a good player, they figure it out. Speaking of good players, a guy I'm high on is is, uh, is Christmas. Uh, what are what are the folks saying about him relative to his value? Where where, where will he go, and, and and what will be his worth? Well, it's funny how you know you can say things that can sound positive or negative depending on your connotation, right? So if we say that he goes in the middle round, that sounds pretty good, right? It's rounds three through five, somewhere in that neighborhood. That's not so bad. But yeah, but if you say, guess what? He's a day three guy. Because if you think he's going round four, five, six, or seven, day three sounds bad. But day three is not bad. It's round four through seven. If he goes on day two, it's round two and three. Day one is a standalone on its own. So it's changed and it's skewed how people look, look at things. I put his sweet spot round three through five. And there are a ton of guys going. And you never know if he might get pushed up if there's a run on these defensive linemen, which I fully expect there to be. It's a... You know, by Florida State standards, as you know, it's uh, it's sort of slim pickings compared to what we were just a few years ago. But a couple other names, I, I don't know that they'll get drafted, but but what do you see as the road ahead for Nooney Murray and, and Jacquez Patrick? Yeah, you know, uh, I'll, go, I'll go with Patrick more so because I think that he's a guy that with runners and with people, there's always a market for them. But with his size, Somebody who is a fullback type team, H back type team, where they want a bigger body on the field, that could appeal to them, you know. And 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 I remember years ago talking to a running backs coach. He was like, one mistake that some kids make is the bigger ones say, "I've got to lose weight and get quicker." And he said, "I usually tell them, no, just get bigger, thicker, and stronger, break more tackles, because you're not going to outrun people. I don't care how, how how much weight you lose, you might not be that super quick guy." But you could crunch through some people, put on some more weight, get thicker, get get, get stronger. That could be Jacquez Patrick's, you know, run to the NFL. And how many times have we seen running backs get drafted lower and still have production and success in the NFL? So that's kind of where I'm going with there. With Murray, it's going to be an interesting deal, guys, because <laughs> as the draft unfolds, there's always people that eat up spots in the draft that we didn't see coming. And what I mean by that is there was a kid who got drafted out of a place, I think, called St. Joseph of Indiana in the seventh round. It was one of the Chicago drafts that for the only time in my career, myself, Mike Mayock, and Daniel Jeremiah sitting up there looked at each other, and none of us had anything on a kid. <laughs> who, like, who is that? <laughs> usually, usually one of us. I can't remember the kid's name. He got drafted like St. Joseph of Indiana or somewhere. Wow. Seventh round, one of the Chicago drafts. And Ryan Grigson was the GM of the Colts then, and he texted all three of us, gotcha. And, and, and we, you know, we're like, yeah, you certainly did, because that just doesn't happen to us very often. In fact, that was the first time one of the three of us didn't have something on a kid. And I remember we were kind of stewing, <laughs> going back to the hotel. We weren't real happy about it. 
but the young man unfortunately never made it as a pro. Ryan Grigson didn't make it as a GM with the, with the Colts. And so, you know, last time I saw Ryan, I kind of teased him a little and said, maybe you should pick guys that were going to make it in the league instead of going to the St. Joseph's of Indiana. Well, if you, you hear, know? if so you, you if, never know. If you hear the name Tom Block next week during the draft, just just pencil this in slow, but makes up for it by being unathletic, okay? If you can just have that Listen, at the ready. As long as you cover it all, Tom, it doesn't really matter. And if we do hear the name, I know where the party's going to be. <laughs> well, and and if you want to visit some 40 years ago, they had one line by my name on the prospect list. It said, Keith Jones, accuracy of movement. <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> well, that's, that's that's better than the one that I saw on mine. You know what mine said? Uh-uh. C, said CPD. You know what CPD stands for in scouting lingo? Can't, Can't play, play it dead. down. Can't play it down? <laughs> Can't play dead. And that was, that was pretty Can't much what they thought of me. So I totally understand it. I, I, and I'll leave you with this one, guys. I went to the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame a couple of years ago, and I was doing a game in Green Bay, and it is phenomenal. You think about the Packers' history. Forrest Gregg just in passed away. Did you see that? Huh? I think Forrest Gregg just passed away. Yeah, he did. We did. We just lost. Yeah, just lost Forrest Gregg, who Vince Lombardi said the best player he ever coached. Mm-hmm. But in their Hall of Fame, they have some of the old scouting reports on guys they had. Paul Hornings is the greatest scouting report I've ever seen because at the end of the scouting report, you know, it lists all your strengths, and at the end it says weaknesses. You know what they listed for weakness for Paul Horning in the late 50s? Nope. In capital letters and underlined with like a big black Sharpie, it said, likes girls. <laughs> that was his weakness in the late 1950s. <laughs> now, if you remember what the lingo would be then, that meant that he liked to go out with a lot of girls. They were wondering if he was a playboy party guy, which he was, but he was also a great football player. But that was his weakness. That's the only weakness they had listed on the scouting report. It's one of the greatest ones I've ever seen. You can include that in the uh, attributes uh, on mine, by the way, that I gave you a couple minutes ago there, if my name comes No, no problem. <laughs> and in fact, and, and nowadays, seen very much of the positive. Hey, we'll let you run, and you don't have to opine too much on this, but speaking of Green Bay and Hall of Fame, could you circulate word that we need Leroy Butler in the Hall of Fame? Can we make that happen? No, there's no doubt. No doubt. And, and you know, what's, what's tough for him is that safety market, it's all of a sudden gotten really crowded. And for whatever reason, these voting people, they don't like to put in a lot of safeties. And right now, you know, the, the push has been John Lynch, and he hasn't gotten in yet. Darren Woodson's in, in the pipeline. Steve Atwater's not in there yet. We can go right on down the line. Leroy Butler's not in there yet. And all these guys are deserving guys. Brian Dawkins got in a few years ago. They're going to be some of these safeties who are going to be nominated a bunch and maybe never get in. And when does the pipeline really kick in for them where we're, we're able to get the right guys into this thing? That's going to be interesting to watch. But, Char- yeah, I'm totally with you. Leroy, Leroy definitely deserves to be in, along with his former teammate Sterling Sharp on the wide receiver side. Charles, you're, uh, you've always been a Hall of Famer, even though Tennessee's just now making it official. So we, we appreciate a few minutes of your time, as always. Look forward to your draft coverage. Always enjoy uh, tuning in when you're on the call on uh, Sundays during the fall. Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. Best to your families. You take care of yourself. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, CD. Charles Davis on, later. on the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. Uh, you know, the, the the biggest takeaway I have there, Keith, is that I've been worried about slimming down, but apparently if I do so, I might start cramping up. So I think I'll just stay put. <laughs> well, that's one way of looking at it, Tommy. <laughs> we'll come back and uh, we'll uh, continue the conversation. Our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefeld joins us next on Front Row Knowles. Get out. 
Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Welcome back. We're going to crank that Earl Bacon Agency hotline right back up again. The Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linefeld, is on the line. Tim, how are you? I'm doing great, Tom. How are you? I am doing great because I recall last week on this very show, actually, we've got to give Eric Allen credit probably more so than Tim, but we guaranteed that FSU baseball was going to turn things around starting with the Friday night game against Clemson. And lo and behold, it came to fruition. Tim, I know you were on that, so uh, go ahead and revel in the glory there because apparently FSU's back to being FSU on the baseball diamond. <laughs> it certainly looks that way. That's what uh, that's what Drew Mendoza said after the uh, the game on Sunday in which they secured the sweep in dramatic fashion. Said uh, very basically, we're back. So uh, that was pretty exciting. And um, and yeah, man. I mean, I think I don't know how you can look at it as anything other than a, I mean, a huge positive. Look, they do have to sustain it, and I think that's kind of was Mike Martin's message um, out on the on the practice fields or the main field, but at practice on uh, on Tuesday. Um, but man, you know, practice is a whole lot more fun when you're coming off a three game sweep of uh, of Clemson than it is when you're losing series to Miami and losing games to Florida and whatever else. Well, it started on the mound on Friday night, and we finally saw who we thought we would see when we saw him. If that's a way of saying it. Yeah, no, I, I think that's exactly right. And, and really, Keith, I mean, that was just one of, of a week full of really good starting pitching performances. It started, you know, I mean, it was overshadowed uh, against Florida because of the way the game turned out. But Connor Grady was really good uh, against Florida, went seven full innings and, and gave you know, his team more than a chance to win. Uh, Drew Parrish followed that up with a, a great outing on Friday. I think he went eight. And then C.J. Van Eyck did the same on Saturday. And so... I mean, yeah, man. I mean, it's not rocket science when your starting pitchers are going seven, eight innings and only you know allowing a few hits and you know, a couple runs. I mean, you're probably going to have a chance against no matter who you're playing. Well, and if you score 16, you could probably win on Saturday, regardless of that your pitching, too, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't hurt. Doesn't hurt. Is the rotation staying the same related to Sunday, or is Connor Grady going to get a get a shot at the front end? Uh, Mike Martin said on Tuesday that they hadn't decided that yet. Uh, I I suspect that it'll still be Shane Drohan uh, to start on Sunday. But, I mean, it's obvious that, that Connor Grady, I think, is, is pushing for a place in that rotation. And, um, you know, I think as of right now uh, – what's up, Barna? I'm sorry, I just had, had a little uh, cameo appearance. Hey, what's going on, man? Sorry. Two weeks ago, he drops hey. in that he had lunch with Willie Taggart. Now he's just in the middle of an interview and he runs into William Floyd. Man, <laughs> it, about that, man, it's a tough life to be Tim Linefelt, ladies and gentlemen. That's, uh, that's the way it goes sometimes out here, you know it. <laughs> um, let me ask you this, and I don't feel like listeners to this show need the perspective, except that I feel like we all do at times because we lose sight of it. So Florida State's playing Virginia this weekend, and related to this season, they need to win a series for us to believe in what happened last week, that it wasn't just a, a one-off. But the bigger picture is Virginia won a national title a few years ago, and yet... They've missed the NCAA tournament during uh, O'Connor's career. They're not having a great Virginia year. Uh, I guess it's, it kind of gets into that discussion of would you rather win one and be sort of relevant the rest of the time or would you rather be in the conversation every year even if you haven't won one? I, I don't know. I just find it a, a little bit curious because Virginia did get the breakthrough and get the win, and yet here we are. No, I think it's, it's exactly right, and, and your right to measure perspective I think is, is certainly appropriate. And You know, what, what is the better scenario? I've I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I guess it's kind of up for each. 
uh, fan or, or however to, to decide. But but you're right, man. I mean, Virginia, I mean, they're struggling. They, they did win that national title. And, look, man, I'm not taking anything away from a national title. But, like, you know, they were swept by Miami last week. They're kind of hovering around 500. They're going to have a fight to make the NCAA tournament again this year. Um, and that's with, you know, a team and a program and a coach that everybody – uh, sort of, you know, had pegged as the elite of the elite not all that long ago. So um, it's hard. I mean, it's a, it's a tough sport, man. Um, it's tough to maintain. It's tough to be consistent. I mean, even you look at Florida, the same kind of thing. I mean, they're struggling uh, through big picture wise this year. Uh, you know, they're having a real down year in that respect. So, um, you know, like I mean, I understand the the, the broader conversation uh, when it comes to baseball and particularly at, at Florida State and what a unique fan base and that that program has and. That the, uh, the the full context, but man, what they've been able to do in terms of winning games and making tournaments and all that, I mean, you know, I really do think that seeing these other kind of heavyweight programs struggle the way they are sort of puts that in perspective. Tim, last week we reacted to the to the spring game, and now that we've had another uh, week to digest, what 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 are your final takeaways or things that you didn't see uh, live that you've gone back and uh, rehashed and thought through that uh, jump out at you? I don't know if there's anything that um that you know i did just straight up didn't notice that that came about but uh you know man i, I really do i i was impressed at, at james blackman's game um uh, particularly as it kind of went on i thought he started maybe a little bit slowly uh but by the end of it um or not even the end of it the middle maybe you sort of looked up and he's he a really really nice game um so that was good to see um and then i also like i like what you saw out of jordan travis i thought he looked uh, better maybe in the spring game than at any point in the week leading up to it. Uh, and then the fact that he was able to connect with DJ Matthews, who was a guy who, you know, it, it's kind of funny. I, I feel like DJ maybe sort of flew under the radar a little bit throughout the spring uh, because I think there's a lot of focus, um, justifiably so, on Marion Terry, uh, but then also some of the second-year receivers um, that you sort of almost forgot about DJ a little bit. And then he comes out in the, in the spring game, uh, has the kind of performance he did while not catching passes from the number one quarterback, by the way. Uh, and then his head coach comes out afterward and says that he might be the most improved player on the team. And now all of a sudden, DJ Matthews is back on everybody's radar. Uh, pretty impressive and, and kind of a cool turnabout for him. So, how is it that you just crossed paths with Bar None? Is uh, are you on the road with the Willie Taggart tour, and or is he just uh, in town? I mean, uh, he is he is in town. You know, we didn't actually uh, we didn't talk too terribly much because I was on the phone doing a radio interview, but uh, but he was outside the uh, the Moore Center and uh, and said hello. All right, I just I just want to know because I mean it, he played in the Varsity Club Celebrity Golf Tournament on Monday. Well, that was Monday a week ago. Well, now that you think about that, that was a so dumb he's still hanging out for yeah. T- that was dumb but comment you, on Jones's part. I'm but, sorry. Well, and I'm Matthew. Glad, can you erase that? I'm glad that I could illuminate that for you. <laughs> Uh, well, you never know with Tim, though. I mean, he might be down in the Bahamas at the Atlantis right now, and there's William Floyd. I mean, we just can't keep up with our Seminoles.com. It wouldn't be the first time. See? Exactly. What else do we need to know about what's going on in Seminole Athletics? Now, those are big ones. A really big softball game tonight that I that I expect probably underway uh, by the time folks are hearing us. Uh, Florida State softball against Florida at home. Uh, always a huge game, a big event. I think tickets are sold out. They're still standing room only areas uh, available and, and, and Florida State uh, with an opportunity to kind of regain some momentum and sort of hit one of those mid-season lows that are I think pretty common in, in baseball and softball but uh, nothing like a, a visit from the Gators to kind of get the, uh, the juices flowing again. Tim, we'll let you be on your way. I, I know you've got an A-list of celebrities that you got to shake hands with, kiss some babies, <laughs> and we'll talk to you again next week. I'll see what I can do. Thanks, guys. See you, Timmy. 
See what happens when you go unbeaten on rapid fire? I mean, it's the the word spreads like rapid fire, and boom. There you go. A-list celeb. We'll come back and uh, continue with uh, another Sterling edition, or another edition, you choose. Of we'll Front be back Reynolds. in a minute. <laughs> driving, trees went back, me and Dale were singing. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. We welcome you back to Front Row Knowles. The uh, Earl Bacon Agency has been, uh, hotline has been very busy today because we're going to... It's tired. It's it's ti- It's a little fatigued. We're going to open it back up once more. This is a little... Um, atypical maybe of what we do which tends to focus on what's happening on the field with florida state athletics or student athletes or coaches but i i'll set this up the same way i just shared with him as, as we'll welcome to the show but a week ago last tuesday Dwayne wade was playing his final home game for the miami heat and Dwayne wade's an institution in in south florida to the point that there's conversations of who's the greatest at south florida athlete marino or Dwayne Wade. I mean, that's where we're at, and we'll let him opine on this in a middle, in a minute. But there was a terrific commercial that was put together, and I'm scrolling through Twitter, and I'm looking at it, and the next thing, and everybody's talking about it, and then the next thing says, you know, it's cool that an FSU guy put this thing together. Well, that FSU guy is uh, Ritesh Gupta, who I've known for a long time. Many of our listeners would know him from back in his WCTV days when I think he was Rick Ritesh, maybe, but he joins us now on the on the Earl Bacon Agency Hotline. How are you, Ritesh? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Good. So, you know, I, we all lose track of time and the years. So you are FSU class of what year? I'm class of 98. Class of 98. And what years were you a sportscaster at WCTV? So I was at WCTV from 2000 to about 2000. Early, early 2003 is when I um, said, you know what? I'm going to hang up the cleats and leave the sportscasting to Tom Block, and I'm going to go try my hand at something else since he's got this market covered. So you're the one we can blame this for. Oh, absolutely. I was going to pin the start of the lost decade on him, but he had the foresight to get out of town when he was only three yeah, years no, in. I, so I, I saw the writing on the wall, and I left that to you, Tom. That was all yours to clean up, and I, but I watched it from a distance. But, you know, listen, it's been, uh, it's been a great run, and it's like it all started in Tallahassee for me. It's great to see. And it's, I, I know you've been in New York City for some, some time, and uh, you serve on the Alumni Association National Board of Directors. Uh, but specifically, let's talk about this this Dwayne Wade spot. And I found it interesting that less than a week later, you know, Tiger wins the Masters, and immediately there's a Tiger spot that's out because uh, people want to capitalize there too. But yours, you knew it was coming a little bit different than than what was going on with Tiger. Um, so, who do you work for that you were involved in this, and what was your role? Kind of just walk us through when this showed sure. up on your table or in your inbox, and you knew you might be involved in this. Sure, absolutely. So I work with uh, VaynerMedia Agency in New York City. So one of our clients is Budweiser, and we've done a lot of work with Budweiser in the past, and just in terms of sports, because, you know, listen, America sports, just what it stands for and why we love it is so much at the core of what Budweiser stands for. So as an agency, they come to us with, you know, like, look, if there's ever an opportunity in terms of like to highlight and showcase something about ourselves and and what we believe what we stand for not what we sell because we don't care about shilling for that stuff 
It's really just about, you know, is there like a moment that we want to celebrate and is there something we want to share and give to people? And, uh, you know, a bunch of our creatives in our agency came up with this really great idea and they looked at the fact that, you know, he brought swapping jerseys to the NBA when, when it was really exclusive to soccer. And obviously us as football fans, we've seen a lot of that in the NFL, um, but it was, it was new to the NBA and it was a thing that was talked about all season long. So some of our creatives here had the brilliant idea to like, what if we could, what if we had Dwayne swap jerseys with real fans? And, but more so even what I think was really interesting was when we really took a look under the hood you know, in 16 seasons, Dwayne Wade won three NBA titles. But more importantly, you know, he really changed the course of over a thousand lives. And that's what stood out about the story. We're like, while this sports is a great background and he is unquestionably one of the greatest shooting guards in NBA history, that, you know, there's something so much deeper and something so much more personal that we can tell here. And what if we told the story through the lens of bringing five people whose life he touched that maybe he doesn't even know what he did for them. Um, and so that was the idea. And, and it was like, it was only a month ago when we came up with the idea and we knew April 9th was his final home game. So it was like, go, 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 go. The brand Budweiser was like, so on board, um, so supportive. And it was really about creating a moment for Dwayne, for these five individuals, which listen, there's, 995 others we could have chose from, but we chose five and we just told the story and they were supportive and we just said, let's do it. Ritesh, as someone who's done a little bit of the behind the scenes work and seen this type of thing done, I I shouldn't ask this question without knowing the answer, but I, I think it might speak to how this thing came about. I'm supposing there wasn't a lot of takes for any of these individuals. I mean, that was a heartfelt do it one time and it was very meaningful is it was that the case during the actual shooting of this i keith i love that you just asked that that's exact so basically my job if you were to ask me what was my role in this it was to not screw this up um quite frankly you know the idea was bring them out to center court bring these people out it was a total surprise he had no idea what he was doing there none whatsoever um, I actually, when he arrived, I met him on center court, spoke to him for about 10 minutes. But before he arrived, one thing we talked about with our entire crews, we said, once he comes out to this court, we just roll and we don't stop. Um, cause there's no retakes. This is all real. And in fact, we even kept the cameras as far back as we could to create in where it was just Dwayne and these people standing across from him, you know, listen, they told their stories from their heart. Um, you're right. There weren't, it's not like we did like, can you do that again? I didn't really get, it wasn't about that. It right, was just about, right. Let's just, let's, let's capture the moment as it happens and try to capture. And really from a documentary standpoint, straight documentary is just what you saw is what happened. Um, and so, you know, these people one at a time came out and told their stories and had that connection moment with them. Um, and we just wanted to create, and that's the thing about, what the idea was and what Budweiser wanted to do. We This was for them and this was for Dwayne. We were flies on the wall and then we just put it together in the edit room. Um, and that was it. So he knew that it was going to be five random fans. Did he know it was going to be that kind he of heart? He didn't even know that. Okay. He was so busy chasing the final playoff spot for the eighth seed. Um, and also just like this is the final month of, the, of a glorious career, probably basking in it. 
he actually, we talked to everybody around him and we said, this needs to be the surprise party that everybody's in on but him. If, he, if he's not going to ask, don't tell him anything. So we flew down to Miami because um, he had one day to film. There's one open day um, that he had to film. And we were like, let's just go there and figure it out and let's do it. Flew some of the people who weren't from Miami of those five into town. His mom, he didn't even know his mom was in town. He didn't know even though he was meeting people. All he knew was that Budweiser was going to do a tribute on him, and that was it. And we had done a Derek Jeter tribute a couple years ago, so I think he had seen that. Um, I'm not totally sure of this, but, I, I, you know, they're like, we're going to do a Derek Jeter-esque tribute. He was like, cool. Uh, and he even joked with me halfway through, the, the, I think, like, the second or third person. He was like, he was like, this is one of the first times I didn't ask, what are we doing today? Um, and, you know, it made it that much better. Like, he just he didn't know what was going on. So let me ask you, this seems uh, it's just different than the TV world when, when we were coming up. So when did the spot debut or air or did it just get released and go viral on social media? Uh, I mean, obviously it, it went so, viral, but did it did it play first? Just walk us through what the plan was to get yeah. it out. It was always, you know, it was always the plan. We we look, when we looked at the calendar, we knew there were his final two games. His, fi- his final home game was April 9th. And I think, you know. There's, listen, I am one of dozens of people involved in this process, um, a lot of which, you know, we when we all sat down and talked about it, we were like, listen, his final home game is April 9th. Wouldn't it be amazing if we can release it on the day of his final home game as, you know, something memorable for him and his fans, especially the ones in Miami and South Florida and just the people that love him and knew that this was his final opportunity, his regular final regular season home game ever. So we really timed it with that morning. Um, so it came out that morning, I think at like 8.30 or 8 a.m. Um, I was actually getting on a plane to fly to Miami to film his final game, just to kind of capture some of the scene there. Um, and as I'm on the plane, I'm at the airport, I see my phone just exploding. And I see it just going wild. So it's one of those things where, like, look, sometimes luck, as, as Mickey Andrews, Coach Andrews used to say, and I used to love this and I carried it on, he's like, look, uh, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And like on that final day, it's just, I think it really struck a nerve with people. Um, and it showed the best of why we love sports, the best of who we can be. And it showed something that we all want to believe in, which is that even in this world that can be crazy and look bleak at times that there's something good and there's good people. And there's people who have a lot more than we do who are still doing good. And if they can do it, why can't I do it? And I think I'd like to think, that and the fact that people got to see him legitimately experience this, you saw him completely surprised and you saw him go through this journey and meet with people that he hasn't seen in over a dozen years. In some cases, and one, a kid from who's an FSU grad, Danny Arzu, who was just like up to his waist when he saw Dwayne the last time when he was, he told me the story, he was sandwiched between Dwayne and Shaq. Um, and like, you know, he'll never forget the words that Dwayne said to him and it changed his life. So I think that's what caught storm and it just took off. Well, and I, and I think Ritesh, you and your, your people are to be absolutely commended for not getting in the way because it comes out the, the way you guys shaped that, the way you taped it, the way you edited it. Uh, it just comes across as absolutely unrehearsed, not canned very genuine and it takes an absolute art 
an absolute artist to, to pull that off. Yeah. And you guys are to be commended for that. I thank you so much. We had a really great editing team. We had a great, I mean, really the whole team there was all my, mostly all Miami locals. Pretty much everybody was local to South Florida, big Heat fans. They were all excited to be a part of it. But, you know, we just, we wanted to capture it as it happened. We wanted to show that and in the edit room as it happened. And like, you know, I'm just, listen, I'm grateful to be a part of it. Not even like, I love the fact that we are all having this conversation and that Tom, you know, reached out to me because we've known each other for decades, but also because it's, the spot has been successful. But honestly, Keith, it's so secondary to the fact that we got to create something through like, luckily Budweiser was like, yeah, let's do this. And, but through that, we just got to create something. And for Tamara Johnson, the young lady who got a full scholarship, she, you know, the day before we filmed, she's, she just told me, she's like, he changed the course of my life. And like, I would love to be able to thank him. And for Danny Arzu, who was, you know, a kid from Overtown, a really tough neighborhood in Miami to have his life changed. And now he's mentoring kids back there and his mother who like, just to create this moment and for to see Dwayne not even realize the breadth of his impact he's left and the legacy. If this thing wasn't a viral hit, I wouldn't care. The fact that we got to do this and make this is what mattered. But the fact that we created something that made people see the goodness in the world is more important than anything else. Yeah. We, I mean, it was just a really, really, well done, cool spot. I'm curious, have you done other things for Budweiser or was this your first go round? I'm sure your company has. Yeah, so we've done a bunch of, so I've been, been lucky enough to work with Budweiser on a bunch of things, one of which was um, uh, we, when the Chicago Cubs won the World Series, we took uh, Harry Carey, who was the legendary play-by-play guy for the Cubs, who wasn't fortunate to ever see them win like so many people before him, um, we commemorated the Cubs winning the World Series. I was in Chicago for the final game, um, documenting Cubs fans experiencing that and laying it to the soundtrack of Harry Carey as if he called the final play. So that was another viral hit. We did a Derek Jeter tribute, which was another viral hit. So we've had a string of some really great success, you know, documenting the sports world. But what's great about Budweiser is none of these are traditional sports spots. They all like look at character and people and and stories and like just view things differently and get us to see even a moment like Dwayne Wade's final game is just something much more different than it is. And just like to appreciate, you know, the sports world by appreciating what the athletes stand for and what these teams represent and what the cities do. So um, it's been a string of like, listen, I've done a half a dozen projects for Budweiser, always grateful, you know, to, even whether it's just them or anybody else, but really Bud is like just working with a group of people who just want to tell stories. So I know that uh, you've had the privilege of being on our show and Ira and Warchant caught up to, with you. Uh, so, so how many other uh, media hits have you done in the last week since, I mean, I, I'm sure your phone, is, I'm sure your phone's been a little busy. It's been pretty busy. I did a radio show in 93.5 in Miami uh, last week and uh, had a couple other folks reach out, but um, and it's, it's been, it's, I'll be honest with you, it's when you reach out and you like, I want to have you on the show, it's humbling and it's flattering. And, it's, you know, again, I'm one of dozens of people that were a part of it. You know, I was lucky enough to be the director of the spot, which is, you know, to whom much is, you know, given much is expected. And so, 
really, again, my job was to just put the pieces in place, get everybody in that on that center court and just get the hell out of the way and not screw it up. And luckily, I guess I didn't screw it up. So that's good. But, um, you know, all the outreach, all the love, even the phone calls, text messages, um, emails, like comments, they've just been so, and I can tell you this, our entire team has been so humble to see them. Our clients have, and like, it's just, and everyone's like chomping to the bit, like, what are we going to do next? So we'll see, you know, like, Hopefully there's more things out there and more. I just believe Tom, like, you know, listen, I watched you when I was in school and you were at, you know, TXL and it's, you know, it's just, you get into this business because you want to tell stories um, and you want to, you realize what the power of story can do. Um, and sports is just the best backdrop to tell people stories. So listen, hopefully I've got some other irons in the fire and I've got some other things planned. So hopefully this isn't the last we talk. Well, I know it won't be the last we talk, but uh, I have no doubt there'll be continued success for you, too. Congratulations. Enjoy it. It was well done. And, uh, yeah, I mean, my first, the first time I saw Dwayne Wade play, I was at the 2003 Final Four, which was the one that Syracuse won. And I didn't know much about Dwayne Wade then. I mean, I knew he was a name, but then you watch him play and you think, man. And then he goes on and has the career that he's had. Uh, just just tremendous, tremendous work. Really appreciate it. Thanks for the insight, uh, kind of the peek under the hood there to figure out how it all, how it all went down, Ritesh. Yeah, absolutely, and thanks again for having me on. All right, Ritesh Gupta, who was the director on that Dwayne Wade spot. So uh, just a really, really good spot. Well, he brings up a thing. I've always thought this about sports, Keith, and I don't work full-time in sports now, but I went into sports because it's it's an outlet from the grind. I mean, it's something that brings people together, uh, and it's ironic that we would talk about this now because in between when this spot aired and this interview, Tiger wins the Masters. And, and that's the other thing about sports – Sports it has long been reality TV before, before before there was reality TV. And networks have spent all this money creating Big Brother and American Idol and Survivor and whatever the, you know, the, that, that K family, I've the, heard about. whatever the reality show du jour is. And sports has always offered that nobody would ever if somebody wrote a script that said that explained what happened with Tiger and then he came back and won it. Yeah, it's, that's ridiculous. Made up. That's made just up. Hollywood. I mean, that, but that's what's great about yeah, it. The other, the other thing, and we don't have time to get into it now, uh, it goes back to the our athletes' role models. And when you think about what he's saying about Dwayne Wade, now Dwayne Wade cha- chose to really uh, use his platform. But the reality is you are, whether you signed up for it or not, it goes with the territory that people are going to idolize you, even if you don't want that responsibility. It's just the nature of the beast. And if you reach any level of success, uh, collegiately, professionally, or otherwise, uh, then that, that some would call it a burden. The Dwayne Wades of the world would call it the opportunities present themselves for you to go above and beyond yourself. And I, I'm not a big NBA fan. I don't watch the game very much. Obviously, I know who Dwayne Wade is. But I'll tell you one of the biggest compliments Dwayne Wade got that he'll never hear and he doesn't care about, but our former colleague, uh, Paul Kennedy, will tell you he's a nice guy. And you just don't hear that said about professional athletes, particularly mega professional athletes very much. But that was Paul's take on it. From a nice guy. Very nice guy. All right. Uh, speaking of which, uh, these two nice guys will be back, Lord willing, again next week, and we'll do another edition of the show. Sound good? Sounds good. He's Keith. I'm Tom. We'll talk to you next week, everybody. Look at what I say. The more I see, the less I know, the more I like to live.